And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Friday. The in-season tournament is down to the championship game. We are all living in Tyrese Halliburton's world and on Tyrese Halliburton's time. The Indiana Pacers <laughs> upset the Milwaukee Bucks if it's even an upset. I don't even know what what I don't even know what's happening with the Pacers anymore. And they will play the Los Angeles Lakers who blew the doors off the New Orleans Pelicans in what is really a perfect in-season tournament final in lots of ways. Mo Dekeel, how are you? I'm doing well, Zach. I'm fired up. What a great. You're right. It is Tyrese Halliburton's world. We're all just paying rent. You know, you know why it's perfect? Because it's like small market, huge market to the point that they intersected five or six years ago when the Lakers Lakers got dinged for tampering on Paul George. Remember the (laughs) Magic Johnson, Jimmy Kimmel, the Winkler, you know, if I do this, if I do that, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And they played two games last year. And you know, look, it's last year's already ancient history, but do you remember those games, Mo? Yeah, no, I mean they had the big game. They had the Nemhard hit the game winner in uh in LA. And they I'm a were both bit fo- they were both again. decided by one point on <laughs> buzzer shots. Nemhart hit a three on a sensational kind of half lefty cross court pass from Halliburton, who's just every game now there's two passes where you're like, I don't even understand what happened. <laughs> Last night he had the pick and roll with Turner going to his right, where he got to the Steve Nash spot under the rim. And threw this cross-court bullet to somebody in the corner. I'm forgetting who. And it like you normally those those passes kind of wrap along the baseline right. out of reach of the defenders and get the guy in the corner. This one went right over and through Giannis's hands above his head and hit the shooter right in stride. Parker saying it was Obi Toppin. Just an absolutely ridiculous pass that I watched like four times. Um, so there was that, and then in Indiana. Um, Anthony Davis blocked Tyrese Halliburton with like 12 seconds left. And then Buddy Heald missed a buzzer shot. Both games were decided by one point last year. Um, just a great, a great, great matchup. Um, so, you know, look, here's where we stand. Pacers are now 12 and eight, first in offense, 28th in defense, seventh in net rating. Mo, we're reaching the point now where the Pacers are not a carnival that is just like, oh, it's a fun story. Totally unviable for the playoffs. No, this team, when you're seventh in net rating, you're reaching the point where I don't really even care what your splits are um, in terms of offense, defense. Like, you can win a playoff round if you're if you're this good. Net you're a team. Wise. Yeah, you just, you have, you have, you have something. You've got something going where you're able to kind of, when you're up that high in net rating means you're, you're building a cushion somehow. Well, and you know what I was thinking about last night is, so... Um, they held the Celtics to a very kind of minuscule points per possession figure. It was their third best defensive game of the season, but the first two were against the Spurs and the Wizards, so tossed them out. Milwaukee was their seventh or eighth lowest points allowed per possession figure. It was a below league average output for Milwaukee. And unlike Boston, Milwaukee actually shot threes pretty well in that game, so there was right. not a lot of shooting luck you could point to. And I said this after they beat the Celtics. The Pacers are playing these games at an intensity level that suggests even internally they were aware like, yeah, it's cool we put up 157 against the Hawks and like we're the number one offense and it's fun. But like we're kind of aware 
that we've got to reach a level of competency on defense and intensity and togetherness and honest string rotations and all of that to really be viable. And in these two games, with everyone in the world watching, they have hit that mark. Not perfect, not great. They don't have the personnel to be great, but good enough that their offense can get them past elite opponents. This version of the team is a dangerous team. And the team I was thinking about is a random connection to make, but this is the first in-season tournament. I thought a little bit about the Suns in the bubble, who kind of came in as like this fun team, like nobody really cared that much about them. They're like, you know what? We're going to use this thing to get serious and catapult ourselves to a new level. And of course, they make the finals the next year. They get Chris Paul, et cetera. The way the Pacers have approached the in-season tournament kind of reminds me of that in terms of like, you know, some teams maybe care. Some teams don't care that much. Like we're using this as an opportunity to dial into a gear that we're going to need later and see how it looks and feels. And it looks and feels good enough. They're in the finals of the in-season tournament. And like, they're already a team when the best teams see them on the schedule. It's like, Oh man, (laughs) this is going to be tough. Um, all right. So, and then the Lakers, of course, uh, 22nd in offense, up to 6th in defense. So that defense is really rounded into form. They're getting healthy. Vando's back. Rui's back. Um, Just as we look ahead to the championship game, give me something you're looking for in terms of – let's preview this like a playoff series and a playoff game. Like what's a matchup-related thing on either end of the floor that you're going to start off like, I want to see this in the first two possessions of the game? I mean, it's – Probably not going to be the first two possessions of the game because the guy doesn't start. But I want to see Neesmith guard LeBron. I know, I know you are. You you talked about it last podcast. You're on an island. You're scrounging for berries on on Neesmith Island. I'm telling you, Zach, it's getting a little more crowded. More Look, people are I, coming. I ran into, and his agent can verify this. Miami Boston Conference Finals 2022, maybe I don't I, I don't remember what year it was. There's a Miami Boston playoff series years ago. I ran into Aaron Neesmith and his agent after one of the games, and he wasn't playing. And I said to him, "Man, like I think you're good, and I think you should play." And he looked at me and he was like, really? I really appreciate that. I'm like, I'm serious, man. I'm on Aaron Newsmith Island. No one's with me except me, you, and your agent. And anyway. Well, continue. you know, but I think that's an important matchup for them. Like when you go to that Bucks game, you, you know, last night, you know, he had possessions where he was guarding LeBron. He had a play, you know, he took a charge on Lopez. He, he drew a turnover off of Middleton. Like he's kind of all over the place. Like he is their guy defensively that needs to be able to, to hold up and the way LeBron's playing and LeBron's going all out for this tournament, I think there's an important matchup there to watch for. And that's something where I don't think they can keep him on the bench for long in this game because you can't let LeBron get going early and, and, and quickly. And I think they need to make sure that they get him on there. And that's the matchup I really am most intrigued about going into the finals right now. Yeah. When I think about when the Lakers have the ball, your first question is, oh, is Obi Toppin guarding LeBron? And Obi Toppin's been like pretty good defensively by his his standards, but this is a totally different assignment. And yeah. <laughs> and Neesmith is the guy with the physicality and the quickness. I mean, physicality. LeBron can just bowl over anybody. What he's doing, I, I, I have Fred Katz on after you to talk about the MVP race. I mean, it's just ridiculous the numbers he's putting up. This is the best shooting season of his career. From know, two and absurd, three. Absurd. Almost 39. 
when I turned 39, if I had like two beers the next morning, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I don't think I could walk my, our daughter to school. So it's a little, <laughs> a little rough, a little rough here. Um, he's shooting like 63% on twos or something crazy. Um, so that was the first thing I thought about. And, and how do you guard the LeBron AD pick and roll? Historically, they have in some matchups. I was actually watching some film of this earlier today because I'm just why not? In a couple of prior games, they've switched now and then mm-hmm. and put Miles Turner on LeBron on switches and and lived with who's ever guarding LeBron guarding Anthony Davis on the other end. You could you could maybe do that to to kind of stay out of rotation and take the lobs to AD out. But I'm with you. That was the first thing I thought about was will we see more Neesmith? Will we see Neesmith and Toppin even together if it makes sense? Um, how quickly will we see Neesmith? What else are you looking for? Lakers offense, which is really when you talk about the Lakers viability. As a real contender, a team that can win two, three, four playoff series, which is what they aspire to be, their defense is going to be awesome. It is what it is. It's a known commodity. They are a very good defensive team with an all-world defensive player. It comes down to can they score enough points on offense? And so, what are let's this, so this is a good place to start. What else are you looking for out of their offense in this game? I mean, are they going to make enough threes? I mean, this is wild. Like what they're shooting in the in-season tournament has been absurd. I think they're above forty percent. I mean, Torian Prince was on fire last night, but like in regular season games or or, or non-in-season tournament games, I should say, they're not shooting it as well. It's not as as solid in that stuff and I think that's an important aspect of like can they knock down enough shots I think an important thing in that game against New Orleans was right off the bat D'Angelo Russell came in and hit some shots and made some plays for them and I think that kind of got them into their flow of things and got everybody kind of like okay we're going to get a good D-low game we're going to get some shots we're going to get some shot making but that's going to be just such an important thing because if they're not making threes then it's easier to pack the paint let's just completely crowd the paint and just, Hey, beat us from the outside with LeBron shooting insane numbers. As you were talking about shooting is, I think it's his best percentage from three, at least the last I checked since 2014. And I think that's a a challenge in that regard. Like you got to just sign up. What are you going to live with when you're guarding LeBron? And then how can you kind of shrink the paint and, and, and keep him out of the paint and you just got to pack it and hope those guys aren't hitting shots. But again, in this in season tournament, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the courts. And that weird strip down the middle or whatnot, maybe that's what it is. But those guys see that and they start knocking down threes. Like they're shooting at a really kind of a ridiculous percentage uh, during the in-season tournament. And it's so weird when you look at it in the non-tournament games. Yeah, they're 20. I I think they're up now after last night's outburst. I think they're like 26th in three-point percentage. They were 29th going into last night's game. Still looking for the lasers. LeBron is still looking for the lasers on his team. (laughs) But it is interesting in this one matchup that – the Pacers are a team that has made a collective decision. Okay, we're not a good defensive team. We don't have the personnel. We're just not going to be good. One thing we're going to do is we're not giving up threes. They give up the fewest threes in the entire league. And part of that, that's good. That sounds good. The flip side of that is they give up by far the most shots at the rim. Like it's not even close. And it's a trade-off that they're very clearly making on purpose, which is like, hey, we're just not going to send a lot of help. And the consequences are like, we're going to give up a lot of shots at the rim and shots in the restricted area. And we're going to not be, it's not going to be a strong suit of ours, but we're just, we're going to take a lot of threes. You're not. And we hope the math is going to win out for us in the end. Even if you shoot like 80% on layups on a ton of them, they're playing a team in the Lakers 
that does not shoot threes and wants to get to the rim at all times and is best when they're at the rim. And you wonder, again, approaching this game like a playoff game, will the Pacers tweak their defense, which you never see teams really do to a a, a sort of wholesale degree in the regular season? Will they tweak their scheme to be like, actually, we're going to do the opposite of what we usually do and dare you to hit threes against us. And maybe you're right, Mo. Maybe it's just in-season tournament. The Lakers become the 2018 Warriors and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just, I think they kind of have to if you're going to have a chance to to win this game. You know, because like you said, it's their style of defense plays right into the hands of the Lakers. And then on top of that, they also are one of the most foul-prone teams in the NBA. And I think those are issues. Now you're going to put those guys on the lines. You're going to get guys in foul trouble early. You, you know, I don't know besides Neesmith how many other guys I feel confident saying, all right, let's see what they look like against LeBron defensively for an entire game. And if he gets into foul trouble, it's a problem. So allowing a lot of drives into the rim is going to put you in a situation. You know, size-wise, they're going to be hurting if Miles Turner gets into foul trouble and trying to block a couple of shots at the rim and whatnot. Like, that's going to be the challenge for them in that sense. So I think they kind of have to. And I think you have that day in between. I think Carlisle can kind of sit there and look, you know, and, and say, hey, this game, we need to do a good job of just kind of closing out but not running guys off the line. And I think that's the thing. There's a big difference with, hey, we're going to pack the paint. Doesn't mean we're going to give away wide open threes. We're still going to close out, but we're just not going to go there to the point that I want to run guys off the line. And there's nobody on the Lakers where it's like a J.J. Redick that you're you're so worried about, the lasers you were talking about that LeBron's looking for, that you feel like you absolutely have to make sure you close out on them. These guys, let's just see if they can make a couple. You mentioned the biggest structural advantage that the Lakers have in this matchup, which is... They are fourth in free throw rate after being first last year, and the Pacers are 28th in opponent free throw rate, i.e. they foul and send teams to the line a lot. They do not get to the line much themselves, and the Lakers are first in opponent free throw rate. So the <laughs> Lakers do not foul. They do not send you to the line. So now it, on one hand, it's like, well, Indiana doesn't rely on free throws for its offense, so that's kind of a good thing for them that like the Lakers right. – if they don't get a lot of free throws, that doesn't really affect them. But you are going into this game where, like, the stats say if you played this game 100 times, in 75 of them, the Lakers are getting plus eight in free throws or something. They're built in an advantage at the free throw line. Maybe, Mo, I mean, you know, the way this is going, like, do the Lakers do, do the do the Lakers even need to have the ball anymore to call timeouts? Like, is, like if the, <laughs> can they call a timeout when the Pacers have the ball in the final? How, like, can Tyrese Halliburton be dribbling and like Darvin Ham calls a timeout? And the refs like, no timeout, timeout. Lakers get it. <laughs> there was a, a a play in the first quarter where where the the Pelicans got a timeout, and I think the guy was like almost out of bounds, and the Lakers were complaining, and I think uh, Doc Rivers and and, and, and uh, Candace Parker were on the, the call and they're like, of all the teams, the Lakers should never complain about one of timeouts called because yeah, the rules just apply a little bit differently to the Lakers in that regard. But yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be just interesting watching the structure of these things. Cause as much as we, we've been focused on like the Lakers offense too, like Lakers got to figure out how they're going to defend Tyrese Halliburton. And I don't know if anybody has an answer for that yet. Uh, no, nobody does Mo. Um, they're first in offense <laughs> by so much. It's ridiculous. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. I just want let, let's pause and talk about the Lakers for a second because they're 14 and 9 and yet before last night's game they had a negative point differential for the season. Now they're plus like plus 20 something they're plus one a game so their record has outpaced their sort of team quality at least by that measure i mentioned their offense they're 22nd in offense and i've said already on this podcast i don't think personally the russell prince reddish trio as starters is dynamic enough for them to get where they want to go um particularly since one of the crutches that they could just sort of use to bolster their offense on just so so nights three or four years ago anthony davis's jump shot is just it's it's mia it's been mia for years it's not coming back um you know but i think the reeves lebron ad trio is in, is dynamic and i like hachimura as a fourth guy there um and there's just look I had them in my second tier of title contenders before the season. Tier one was Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, Phoenix. I would still have the Lakers right there, despite everything I just said about their offense, because I think they can get to lineups that are better offensively, even if they don't make a trade. And I don't, there hasn't been a trade that I've loved yet that people have talked about for them. That is also realistic. There's just a toughness and a physicality and and a seriousness to this team that I really, really like. And so I buy their record as as indicative of who they are. I completely buy their defense. And I buy that in the playoffs, they can slow the game down. And LeBron is still the, the ultimate chess master. Yeah. That they can score enough to be a real threat to make another deep playoff run. I just feel like last year, they got as far as they could get with a mediocre offense. Like it's only going to get you so far and it got them far. There are four teams left in the NBA and the Lakers were one. That's an amazing accomplishment. It's hard for me to see them getting, I I, I could see them getting there again, 
exactly as it is right now. That's how much respect I have for them as a team. It's hard for me to see them getting further unless their offense can go up a tick. They don't have to be elite, but can you get to like a 12th best offense in the league? Can you get to a place where there's something else in your half court that I feel comfortable in? Maybe that's just more Reeves, more LeBron, more Davis together and a, and a good season from Hachimura who just got back. But you're the expert. You were in the league as a video coordinator and a coach. Like, what what do you see with this offense? And what what's there for them that may internally boost them to where they need to be? Or do you, you disagree with me? Do you think, like, as is, they're good enough to get to the finals? I mean, no, I don't disagree with you. They're, the, the offense is the problem for them to get to the finals. Their defense is good enough to take them to the finals. Their offense has to get better. And just to kind of think about it this way, when they won the championship in the bubble in 2019 or 2020, it was their offensive rating was 11th in the NBA. So it was just a, a right where you were saying you said about 12th, right? Like is where it has to go. So that's that's the goal for them. It doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be top five. It doesn't have to be even top 10, but it just needs to be league average, I would say. And I think their defense will carry them the rest of the way. And, and at the end of the day, LeBron's genius will will take them the whole the whole way. We I want to see more of the Reeves LeBron AD combo. Like I know they're probably pacing it and seeing how it goes. They know what they have. They need to find another piece. I just don't know if that guy's on the roster, and that's the thing that worries me about them. Like you, it, it's the defense is there. I think Ruri's great, but like, look, man, that game he had in Memphis in the playoffs in Game One where he went completely nuts. Like I don't know how realistic we're 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 there with that, right? And how often we're going to see a flash like that? Hard to bank on that. You're in a situation where you know it's Max Christie's been good for them and has been getting minutes, but I don't know again if he's ready to kind of be that guy. Like the internal stuff, I'm not sure if there's anybody I look at on their roster that could really boost them. Because you're right, that starting lineup with D'Angelo Russell, Cam Reddish, uh, just doesn't really kind of move you offensively and I think that's the concerns for them and that's why I think everybody's trying to make the trade but I also think this is a year where there might not be somebody on the trade market for them like there's and look like Levine has been the name everyone wants to bring up because he's clearly going to be available and he's represented by clutch and he's a good offensive player to a very good offensive player who as I've said ad nauseum you put him on a team where he's the third option he's a finisher not a starter not not in terms of lineup, in terms of how he deals with possessions. And he's got good defensive architecture around him. That's the fit. I just, you know, it's a big, big number. And I do think the Lakers have the assets to get him because I don't think the market's going to be that great. But I just, I don't know that they're, I don't know that that's the one because it, it kneecaps your defense a little bit. And I, I don't know if the, the juice is worth the squeeze with that one in terms of, in terms of the offense. And you have to be concerned about the injury risk, you know, and, and, you know, the, the fact that he's not right right now is, is, is a concern. And what, what are you going to get from him, you know, through the stretch of the entire season, you know, when he does come back, I think there's a, a genuine concern with, with that. Like the guys I would kind of try to look at for them is, is more just somebody that can shoot the ball and spread the floor for them. Cause then that opens everything up. Then LeBron doesn't have to work so hard to get into the paint and really kind of be a challenge. You know, it's, it's that laser guy he's looking for, you know, it's a, um, a Luke Kennard, if he's willing to shoot on a, you know, regularly or something, it, it'd be nice if it's a guy that can put it on the floor and, and on the bat, you know, bounce it a couple of times and, and get to the rim a couple 
little bit more as well. But I just don't know if those guys are out there right now. And I think that's kind of the challenge for the Lakers in this trade market is it's either swing for the fences for a guy like Levine and and take the risks with what comes with your defense with that and, and his injury health or, or or there's nothing. It doesn't feel like there's a guy out there right now that like I look at going like that's who the Lakers have to target. I just like their toughness and mm. just the fact that they can put five good defenders on the floor all the time. And I, I'd be hesitant to chip away at that. I said last week, like start games, finish games, whatever. They're just going to need to play Reeves a ton when it matters. Cause he's just too dynamic compared to the other options and the LeBron Reeves two man game, both ways, you know, with Reeves, a screener or a ball handler is, is a big weapon for them. I guess like, <laughs> I like Achimura. I, I I buy what he did in the playoffs. I don't think he'll shoot 49% from threes, but if he can make enough threes, I like that foursome. Can I finagle a fifth guy that I can count on night to night? Maybe. I just, I, I like this team. Yeah, offensively, they've got to be a little better. I like them. Let's talk about the team they're playing, the Pacers. Just, just, just one one more note with the Lakers is the, the important thing, too, when they make the trade, and you said it earlier, What's this, what's special about this team is their defense. And you can't take away from that. Don't make a trade to sacrifice that to try to get just better offensively. Because if you lose that and then you're not that much better offensively, like you can't get to the league average offensive rating, but then drop out of the drop out of the top 10 in defensive rating because of the trade you made. Right. Don't make that trade off. I think if that's the case, just stay with what you got and, you know, see if it's good enough to kind of get you to the conference finals again. Well, if that's what if that's internally what they think something like Hachimura plus Russell plus the last draft pick we have left to trade for Zach Levine plus maybe something else to round out the salaries. If that's what they think the end game of that trade is, exactly what you talked about, like our offense gets better, our defense gets worse, it washes that it's a wash in the end. That's definitely not worth a hundred and sixty million dollars no. of Zach Levine in the next four no. years. Um they will play the Pacers in the finals of the in-season tournament. Pacers dispatched the Bucks last night. Pacers are first in offense by a lot. And I'm going to repeat, you know, I, 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 the Tyrese Halliburton pick and roll stats are just unbelievable. He is the best pick and roll ball handler in the league. Full stop. The Halliburton miles Turner pick and roll combination is the best pick and roll combination in the league. And I'm not just making that up. The second spectrum numbers are what they are. I looked at 117 players who ran at least who have run at least 100 pick and roll so far. The Pacers are scoring 1.28 points per possession directly out of Halliburton pick and rolls wow. when he shoots or the guy he passes to shoots. That's number two among those 117 players. Number one is Craig Porter Jr. of the Cavaliers <laughs> who barely meets the 100 pick and roll threshold, <laughs> but has been a little bit of a jitterbuggy problem when he plays and uh, zoom out for the entire possession. 1.31 points per possession on any trip featuring a Tyrese Halliburton pick and roll number one among 117 guys who have run at least hundred pick and rolls. The guy is incredible. Um, he's an MVP candidate. He's a first team all NBA candidate. Um, you can frame that trade as a win-win trade. If you like the Pacers want it. Um, and they want this game. So you're the Lakers. In the past matchups, you've had Patrick Beverly and Dennis Schroeder to put on Tyrese Halliburton. How are you? What are you? What's What are you doing with this guy, 
Mo, because because I don't really love the idea of D'Angelo Russell on him, but I don't love. Are you trying Cam Reddish? Are you like what are we doing here? I honestly, I think to start you got to put Torian Prince on him if you're going to stay with that starting lineup. I think that's really your best chance right there. And and you know when he goes into pick and rolls against AD, you know because that's who's going to be guarding Turner. You know, you're probably going to be a switch situation, and you got to see if AD can hold up in there. And I think AD. It's, it's been phenomenal defensively and it's you know I think that's going to be the fun challenge you know we we're talking about the Lakers and and, and how they're going to how the Pacers are going to guard LeBron this is the challenge for the Lakers to figure out right now this is the puzzle piece you know it's you know do you bring Vanderbilt in early to put him on you know you're that's gonna a have good Re- call you know you're going to have Reeves chase him early and things like that and you got to probably try to funnel him right into AD and hopefully AD will have a better chance at him on the rim than Brooke Lopez did. I mean, how many layups did he have that were just beautifully placed over just over Brooke's hands and 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 a beautiful touch off the rim, off the backboard and right into the bucket? Like it was so many of those over and over again last night. Got to hope that AD will be able to kind of slow him up a bit and, and force him to either take those layups a little further out, kind of disrupt the timing a bit. Or and and with the guard chasing on top of it, because I think that might be the difference with the Bucks. I think you know when it's you, you know Beasley was trying his best to kind of chase over the top, it, it it was difficult. I think you know the Lakers got to make sure they do a good job of funneling him into AD and try to disrupt that timing. But also the problem out of that is when all that happens, he's still going to make the pass. The pass you were talking about to Obi Toppin, which was just perfectly played. I thought he had nowhere to go. I thought he was bottled up. And then he finds Toppin, you know, for a wide open three off of that. Like, that's the problem because it sucks in your defense. And I think that's that's the whole game for the Lakers right there defensively. The other thing about him is, and there were a couple passes last night where this was thrown into stark relief. He's he's such a good traditional bounce pass pocket passer and such an incredible lob passer that defenses don't know which of them is coming. Mm -hmm when he turns the corner and he slows it down like that. And there were a couple of times in the game last night where the Bucks guessed wrong. They thought lob and it was bounce. They thought bounce and it was lob. Um, By the way, this might be the craziest stat of the whole season. What do you think Tyrese Halliburton is shooting on floaters? And to be clear, floaters are shots in, in, in terms of shot charting anyway. Shots twos between the restricted area and the foul line. That little tricky in-between range where field goal percentages tend to be about as low as they are, even lower than three-point percentages for a lot of players. And Tyrese Halliburton takes a lot of them. It's not like he's he's taken few, so it's boosting his percentage. You don't you're not allowed to look it up. I'm what not, do you I'm think he is shooting on floaters? If if I had to guess, just because you're astonished by it, it's got to be somewhere around like 62, 63%. Wow. 64%. That honestly, <laughs> you win. Actually, by price is right. This is a debate we have in our house, Mo. My <laughs> wife and I have this debate. It's a very intense debate. When you're guessing something, the amount of something, the time of day, whatever it is, do price is right rules apply or not? Like if, if you go over, do you automatically lose? No, I think it's it's closest number. And that's only because I'm just trying to win debate. Listen, Zach. Oh, I you won either way. You didn't go over. You you yeah. you guessed perfectly by prices right rules I, and non prices right rules. I'm going for future, future uh, things. Listen, I'm newly engaged. I'm trying to figure out all these 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 important discussions. We're gonna have to. Me and my fiance will discuss 
how we'll we'll go with that. I'll discuss it with her about prices, right rules, and 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 I'll get back to you on that one. But for me, I think it's just closest number. I I assume the Price is Right is still on television, hosted by I, Drew Carey. I, I believe um, so. First of all, I am team apply Price is Right rules to everything, <laughs> only because I always enjoyed the strategy of the of the contestant who would guess one dollar, who would bid right. one dollar, and and when they when they felt that that was the right thing to do. That honestly, I, I, I always hated the one who went like you know a dollar over the next person. Yeah, that person is look. It's smart, and it, look if you got you got one shot, you you got six <laughs> six games to play, six things to bid on, and you're never going to be on Prices Right again. This is it. You got to be ruthless if you're gonna if you can if you if if that's in play and you're the last person bidding, and you want to spin that big wheel and be in the <laughs> showcase showdown, you got to do it. <laughs> That's one game show I would go on. I would go on Price is Right. Because if you suck on Price is Right, it's not embarrassing. Yeah. If you go on Jeopardy and you suck, it's oh. embarrassing. If you go on Wheel of Fortune and you become <laughs> that person, that's your whole life. That's it. Like, you could be... You, we've all seen the Wheel of Fortune bloopers. You could go on, like, a, a great first date with somebody, and then they Google you, and that comes up. That's it. You're done forever. <laughs> this is the person who can't get this one. Um, with all the letters, I don't know what the hell we're talking about. 64%. Is that that might be the craziest stat of the whole season? Of all the Halliburton stats, that one is like, what in the how is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, I just think that's been his, you know, uh, secret weapon, I think, in 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 terms of being able to kind of get to the rim, because now everybody's gonna push up on that and that's gonna allow him to kind of get there. And it, it the the touch he has on these things are 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 perfect the arc to it like there's a special art to the floater and i think that's one of those things you know when i was in san antonio that was something tony parker perfected uh, you, you know and that was his his shot and that was something again also it makes it easier for you to attack the bigs from there and it, it, it drop and whatever the bigs are in drop okay i'm not going to meet him at the rim i'm going to i'm going to make him come out a little bit i'm going to hit these floaters till he does and i think that's kind of the the perfect touch to it i mean it's it, the evolution of Halliburton's game over the last three years, you know, and especially since he became the man in, in Indiana and, and, and had the ball in his hands all the time has been. I don't know if I was expecting it this much. I was big on Halliburton. I never expected him to be this guy. And I'm kind of blown away by him. So the um, incredible thing is he hasn't changed the way he plays that much. Like, like. People, I. I think even he's talked about this. The fact that he's got to look for his shot more. You know, when I I spoke to him before last season and he talked about the challenge that he was being pushed by his trainer, pushing himself like this is his terminology. Like, I got to be more of an asshole. Like, I got to be more. My, my instinct yeah. is hit ahead, kick it. This is why people like to play with me. It's the way I like right. to play. And it, and it, he, he has engaged that part of his game. He's averaging 27 a game. I looked it up today. You know, second spectrum has this way you can sort. The percentage of times the guy running the pick and roll takes a shot out of the pick and roll. So I call that the Dylan Brooks category because Dylan Brooks and Cam Thomas, it's like they're always number one or number two in the league. Kelly Oubre Jr. is like 80% of pick and rolls they're shooting. That's what they're doing the pick and roll to do. That's what they want to do. On the other end, you had like the Ricky Rubio types who are like 12% of the time they're shooting. They don't want to shoot. They want to pass. Tyrese Halliburton, here are his numbers the last four years. Percentage of times he shoots out of the pick and roll, starting with the 2021 season. 39% in 
Next year, 32.7%. Last season, up to 36%. Still not as high as it was. This year, you think oh, it's got to be up to 45, 50, 60%. 39%. He's still playing the way he plays. He's just getting more chances to do it. Uh, and I agree with you. Like D'Angelo Russell, you get you got to guard Buddy Heald, somebody else. I don't know who guards Tyrese Halliburton, but what a chance for AD to stamp his defensive player of the year, yeah. Candace Hay, because he's going to have to do a little bit of everything in this game. If you watch the old games between these teams, he'll throw in a random blitz on Halliburton now and then. He'll he'll like late late clock. He might switch onto Halliburton, and that's that's a big challenge. Um, I'm fascinated by how they negotiate this. Who guards him? You know, LeBron will switch onto him now and then. We saw LeBron take three charges last night. At yeah. least two were from Zion, which I don't know how much money you'd have to offer me to take a charge from Zion Williamson, <laughs> but it ain't free. Um, but you know, I I think that's that's where I start in terms of just I'm fascinated by how they handle the Tyrese Halliburton scoring machine. And I think the you're on to it in terms of the switching of the pick and roll coverages. I think that's. The, that's the part of the strategy for the Lakers. They need to kind of keep him guessing all game. And that's incredibly hard as a defense to be on the same page over and over again. Like the number of defenses I see that are in the same coverage almost all game and then somebody still blows the same coverage is astonishing. So now you're asking these guys to switch over like, hey, the next three pick and rolls, I want you to to just show and recover. The next one I want you to, but then I want you to blitz. For two, then I want you to switch on. Like you got to try to keep him guessing, and I think that's a hard thing for a defense to do, right? And ideally, you'd like to be able to just stay in one coverage, but the longer you stay in a coverage, the more opportunities he has to pick you apart, to figure it out, and then pick you apart and go from there. And I think that's going to be a big thing for the Lakers. And you're right, this is this is a big moment for AD early in the season to kind of stamp himself as you know, hey, I need to be in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year. The last thing on this game, and we saw it last night. Really, we saw it last night. Lakers, okay transition defense team. Over the last three or four years, they've been kind of an older, sometimes slower team. They've It's been a problem area for them. Can't be a problem area against the Pacers. Nope. If it's a problem area against the Pacers, they'll run your ass out of the building. And it, boy, was it a problem for the Bucks last night. They have been the worst transition defense team in the league from day one, and it just isn't getting any better. Now, last night, the Pacers kind of complicated it for them because they took Obi Toppin off Giannis. Obi Toppin couldn't yeah. guard Giannis, and they actually put Buddy Heald on him for stretches of the game. And all that did was serve to confuse the matchups for Milwaukee when they were going offense to defense. Like, oh, I got to find my guy, I gotta, and all of a sudden, the, the possession is over. They've scored. Part of it is also just, I don't know what's going on with this team, but there was that play where I don't know who threw the diagonal pass to Nebhart late in the game when he got a layup out of it. Uh, he just flat outrun, outran Damian Lillard. Like Damian Lillard was right. ahead of him, and he was like, oh, I, if I sprint, I'll just get a layup. Milwaukee has got to get serious about trans. Look, their point of attack defense stinks. That was built into the team. Malik Beasley could not be the solution to Tyrese Halliburton right. and every other ball handler you see. Tyrese Maxey, whoever you know, Boston has as handling the ball or who they assign him to. That's baked into their team. They're going to have to figure out a way around that. They're missing Crowder and Connaughton. Not that they're solutions to it, but but they're they're depth pieces. They gotta they gotta figure why why are we so bad in transition? Like they got to get serious about this because you know 
Look, it's, they're good. They're 15 and seven. Their offense is third in the league. The Bucs are going to be there in in deep into the playoffs, but their lack of seriousness as a transition defense team has been alarming to me. And the whole world got to see it last night. The whole world got to see what's been going on all season last night. It's not even just a transition. It's given up layups off of made baskets. There were three different times last night where the first one, first half, Damian Lillard gets a tough layup. Pacers immediately fly up the court, kick ahead from Halliburton to Obi Toppin, and he gets a reverse layup. Uh, Later in the game, uh, Malik Beasley makes a layup, and he's doing a little bit of flexing right after the layup. And Isaiah Jackson just sprints right by him and Bobby Portis right down the middle of the lane, and he gets an easy layup in transition. Then there was the Obi Toppin lob from half court. Oh, incredible. They just didn't pick him up. He just ran by everybody. He just he just completely blew by him. It was on the wing. He was in the corner. He just he ran by at least two bucks and just flew right by them. Nobody ever stops them. Halliburton sees it and throws the lob from half court. Like these are problems in this game. Uh, my colleague Seth Partnow called it out in the Knicks game, said it happened a bunch of times when they played the Knicks. It just didn't matter because they shot the three ball unbelievably well. But like that's a problem. And that's a concern. And that's something the Lakers have to make sure they do a good job of slowing that down. It's, you know, you really can't have a chance to take a break, even if you make a basket and try it's, to sit sit there. It's a little bit of everything with Milwaukee. Like sometimes it's their floor balance. So Dame Giannis pick and roll, Giannis rolls, Brooke Lopez is in one corner, someone else is in the other corner. Four guys end up below the foul line. You're you're at a, a in a bad position. Sometimes it's the matchup confusion we talked about, which is correctable. And like sometimes you just got to guard who you're near like and sometimes it's just effort and it's like do you guys care like what's going on here um okay let's make picks real quickly i'm putting you on the spot who wins the in-season tournament i i gotta go with the lakers lebron just seems so hell-bent on this i mean when was the last time you saw lebron james take three charges in a game let alone in a half like he just seems so locked in with how he was going i mean that was an amazing 11-3 run on his own with the threes. I mean, those were two massively deep threes he took. And then, you know, just the constant cutting and movement that he's kind of doing, like he, he seems incredibly locked in and has the motivation to win this tournament. I really want to pick the Pacers. (laughs) I know you do. (laughs) I just can, I just can see LeBron sucking the air out of the game, walking it up and being like, all right, where's Tyrese Halliburton come screen for me, Austin Reeves. Okay, okay, where's Buddy Heel? Come screen for me. Come screen for me, Austin Reeves, whoever, D'Angelo Russell. And just turning this into a LeBron classic. You know what? The Pacers are going to win, Mo. The Pacers. <laughs> this is Tyrese Halliburton's time, and they don't care about you squeezing the pace. Pacers win the in-season tournament. Five minutes. Let's do five minutes on a team that's near and dear to your heart, the, your former employer. Um in-season tournaments been getting all the attention. James Harden trade was like a month ago. Whatever it was. People kind of, you know, they were 0-5 embarrassing themselves. Very quietly outside the attention of the national media. The Clippers are 7-3 and in their last 10 games. They're now 500. They beat the Denver Nuggets at full strength, which is their, you know, white whale in the NBA yeah. and has been for three years. They are 13th in offense. Sixth in defense, which has been the story really of their team and their resurgence is Zubats has never defended this well. Kawhi looks more like Pete Kawhi on defense, not quite there on offense, though he's trending the right way. This is a strong defensive team. 
a little bit more flow to their offense. We can talk about that if you want. Their starting five is plus 42 in 167 minutes, even though the Nuggets actually blitzed that lineup the other night. And they're they're dabbling in this Howell as the fifth guy yeah. around Kawhi, PG, Harden, and Zoo. Russ is not shooting well off the bench, but he's bringing the right kind of energy. In that game against the Nuggets, it's the first time Russ and Harden played zero minutes together in a game. And my least favorite grouping of all before that had been uh, Russ plus Harden plus Kawhi without Paul George. I was like, I'd never want to see that ever again. (laughs) That's a rough one. What are you seeing from the Clippers? Is there reason reason to, to take this team like a little more seriously all of a sudden? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that Ty Lue has kind of figured out. I think the most starting one is he actually hasn't played P.J. Tucker at all the last four games. Daniel Tice has come in, and when they picked up Tice, like, my friends are going to go nuts because in the group chat, I just like, ah, eh, whatever, it's fine. Like, it's okay. It's not going to move the needle. He's been great for them, and and that's helped them to kind of stay big. You know, it goes from Zubac to Tice and then back to Zoo, and I think that's been huge for them, you know, with, with how they have everything sort of rolling. I think in the past few games now, you're beginning to see a more comfort level in the pick and roll between Harden and Zubac because early on, that looked terrible. There's no rhythm, no chemistry whatsoever. I think Zoo is now beginning to kind of figure out how to roll with with Harden because it's not just it's not always just a straight roll to the rim. It's almost like a delayed or kind of a slow sort of just slide along dance, with him. You got to dance with him. You got to dance with him. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I think Zoo's kind of learning how to dance now. And I think that's something that we're seeing with their offense and flow. And then you just can't ignore what Powell does for them. I mean, it's it's more important than anything else. He's just constantly cutting. You know, there was a play in that Denver game. I forget which quarter, but, you know, Harden has an ISO, you know, at the elbow. And then Powell just cuts and, and Harden sees him, gives him a quick bucket. And it's simple like that. It's small, simple things like that. And they're not standing around as much. They're not trying to, I think the phase of trying to figure each other out is sort of over and now just trying to build on stuff. And I think that's really what we're seeing with them. And I think it's beginning to get smoother and smoother. And it does help that the in-season tournament's kind of taking the, the lights off of them a bit. And maybe this is what Kawhi actually needs because a lot of the skepticism about the trade was, well, there's just not enough basketball. And P.J. Tucker said there's not enough basketballs in the world right. for these guys. And Kawhi wants to do his ISO stuff and jab step stuff and you know, I'm watching down the stretch of that Denver game, and they run three hardened Kawhi pick and rolls to get Kawhi switched with Jamal Murray on them. I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to see. That's like the action I want. More pick and roll variety. It's not just Harden and Zoo with PG and Kawhi standing around. I got to make use of Kawhi. So he gets his nail touch, gets touched with the nail, does his stuff with Jamal Murray. Three three times. First time, miss. Second time, miss. Third time, make. So two points in three possessions. And I'm glad that they went to it. And I think they're going to need to go to it. But the more I watch Kawhi and maybe he's just kind of easing his way into the season, the more I'm like, maybe this is actually the right balance for him as he enters his late prime, whatever he is. And they have a whole season now to figure out how to hand the keys to Harden without just making it the James Harden show all the time. And I think that they're making a lot of progress in in that regard. And I, look, I said at the time of the trade, a lot of people laughed at the trade. I got it. 
I said, like, I don't think this, I don't think the Nuggets are like quaking in their boots about this. I don't think this makes them like a finals team or a championship team. But what I said at the time was, I think their ceiling is higher and that they had concluded correctly. PG and Kawhi being healthy is no longer enough for us to contend. We cannot do it. Our ceiling is not high enough. We forget that we can we even count on them being healthy. And so far they have been. We need to try something that jacks up our ceiling. Now, the biggest mystery to me in the league mode that I have not been able to solve is what did they offer for Drew Holiday? Because that yes. is the fit that makes more sense on paper and in this not enough basketballs problem. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, they didn't get Drew Holiday. They got James Harden. And I feel today, I, when they went 0-5, I was like, man, I might, like, I wasn't super optimistic about the trade, but I also wasn't one of the super pessimistic people. I was kind of in the middle leaning like, yeah, I get it. Don't think it'll be, like, amazing, but I get it. When they went 0-5, I was like, man, I missed the mark. Like, maybe, maybe this is just a complete catastrophe. Now I feel exactly as I felt that when they made the trade. I don't know where this leads in the end. But I, I don't hate watching them like I did the first three or four games. I think th there's something interesting going on. It, the other thing, like you're, you're 100% right. The first few games was was disastrous to watch. It was a tough watch. And that's probably why people haven't noticed now the run that they're they're, they're on because people are like, I'm out. I mean, right after they, they before this Denver game, the previous one, they lost. And it was Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan Lobfest that beat them. And I think that was the thing where I think a lot of people were turned off and like they're done, they're cooked. The other thing with them that I think is important, whether Harden's in the game or not, and this is stuff I thought even before the start of the season is they got to get into their offense quicker and 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 get into stuff quicker and 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 move. It's it's you know it's so different now, and you're seeing it like even in this game against Denver. Like I saw them, the ball was up crossed half court by 20 seconds on the shot clock. And I think from there, they were able to kind of get into it. Cause then it's, it's so different when you're able to run an action and then get into isolation. And if you could run two actions, you're really cooking. And I think with more time in the shot clock, they're able to do that. They're playing with the numbers pace wise. Don't really show it, but just watching it through the eye test, like they're playing a little bit faster and with more urgency on the offensive end, instead of like, let's just walk it up. Let's be slow. Let's play against the shot clock. I think that's kind of a, a change in their offense these past few games that I've saw that I also gives me a little bit more optimism for them. And I think like, now, okay, there might be something there. Now I, I they're like to temper all of this, you know, whatever <laughs> they're not as good as Denver. They're not as good as Minnesota, at, at least not right now. They're not as good as Oklahoma city. They're not as good as a fully formed Suns team. I don't think they're as good as the Lakers right now. But they have some potential to be frisky and interesting in a way that I, I, I it didn't look to be the case two weeks ago. And by frisky and interesting, I mean goal number one for them has got to be avoid the play-in. And right. if you avoid the play-in, like, yeah, you know, we'll see where the matchups, chips fall where they may. And, like, if we're healthy, we're going to be a tough out for anybody. And, like, that's okay. Like not every trade has to make you as good as Denver. Like that's just not how the league works. It's okay to take a shot at having a shot. And I think that's what the Clippers have done. And they're now worth monitoring. Modekiel, we can see you on one more thing every week. We've been reading you on Bleacher Report for quite a long time. The Athletic more recently. What else can we look for? Because this is a people, this is a basketball mind that you got to know and you got to read and you got to listen to. Uh, I have 
something I just have something recently drop on the athletic, uh, you know, about uh, prevent offenses at the end of games. And it completely drives me crazy. Uh, I have something coming on Bleacher Report, uh, sort of almost a primer was December 15th coming around. Just teams I'm watching one way or the other uh, with the potential of moves and whatnot, kind of helping people get ready for that stuff. And, you know, just locked in. And when I find interesting things, there'll be some one more things. Wait, the bleep that one on December 15th is not out yet. It's coming out because that's it's that, coming that out. was like, I want to read that. That that That's that's coming in the next uh, day or two. OK, I haven't read the prevent offense one. I'm interested in reading that. You had a piece about um, offensive rebounding last week that was very, very on point. You want to learn about basketball? Read and listen to Mo. Thank you for your time, sir. Oh, thank you for having me. Passion, drive and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right. We're a quarter of the way through the NBA season. 25%, 20 games in for most teams, if not every team. A couple teams are maybe at 19 or 20. That means I've given myself permission to talk about big picture trends and awards. Yes, even awards. And I'm excited to do that with Fred Katz, the athletic friend of the podcast. You think of him as a Knicks beat writer, but he's he's got his eyes and his tentacles all over the NBA. Well beyond the world's most famous arena. Well beyond Tibbs yelling at him about his postgame question. Fred! Stop asking me about minutes, Fred. What's up, Tibbs? Um, but before we talk about all this stuff, Fred, I, it, it, I, I got to put you on the spot. I'm putting you right on the spot. Knicks get flamethrown out of the in-season tournament by the Milwaukee Bucks, who then get flamethrown out of the in-season tournament by the Tyrese Halliburton scoring machine slash circus. Knicks are 12 and 8. What's your temperature? What's the quarter season temperature take on the New York Knicks? That's this is your this is now your beat your strong suit. Give me the, the twenty games in. Where are we on the Knicks? Real quick, they're right about where I thought they would be. Right, fifth in the East. Uh, the defense has been pretty good. They're top ten in defense still, even after the Bucks hit one hundred and eight percent of their threes against them in that game on Tuesday. It was insanity, like a Robin Lopez garbage time three cost the Bucks. Arguably the greatest shooting game in the history of the league from a percentage standpoint with so many makes. Uh, I, I I think they're basically about what we thought they were. Jalen Brunson's playing like an all-star. Julius Randle is playing much better after that really rough six-game stretch to start the, the, the season. I think Mitchell Robinson has taken a defensive leap and even a leap on the boards. Uh, he's been the best, certainly, offensive rebounder in the NBA so far this season. Uh, I'm a little concerned about R.J. Barrett, who got off to a great start, not just because he was hitting his shots, but because his decision making was 
looked like it hit another level. His pacing hit another level. He was finding cutters. He was finding shooters. And he seems to be missing guys more now after he came back from migraines. And I'm a little concerned about the fact that that Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart have both made comments in the last two weeks saying essentially the exact same thing, that they can't get in a rhythm when they touch the ball as little as they do. And I think the Knicks front office, I wrote this this morning in my, in my story at The Athletic, like I think the Knicks front office is aware that there could be kind of a too many guys situation sort of brewing in that locker room right now. And I don't know how that's handled. Maybe it just dissipates, goes away, not a big deal. They're all team first guys and it doesn't end up being a big deal. Or maybe we see some kind of consolidation trade down the line, you know, leading into the deadline to help them get a big wing or something like that. Yeah, I've been a little caught off guard, frankly, by the Grimes and Hart stuff. Um, just because when people talk about too many guys problems, they don't typically talk about like a very clear fifth option spot up shooter and a, a bench guy who's just kind of a jack of all trades, not expected to score that many points, which is what Josh Hart is. I'm going to be optimistic and just say this kind of resolves itself because of like who these guys are. I I don't know, you know, Quentin Grimes is one game making four threes away from maybe this feeling a lot better for him. He's just not shooting very well on the chances he gets And Hart. Hart just, I don't really, I'm a, I just like, I, I watched Josh Hart and I'm like, looks like Josh Hart to me. Like, I don't really know what he's supposed to be doing. He's like his solution to not getting enough touches. If that's what he thinks is happening is, just getting a defensive rebound and not passing to anybody. I'm just going to go coast to coast against the entire defense, and I'm going to score because I'm awesome at this. I think he's been good. Their bench has been really good. I'm I'm like you. I, I've I've been a little uh, like a little caught off guard by this stuff. Didn't see it coming with Grimes and Hart. Makes me a little worry a little just because I think a certain togetherness and an understanding of what the identity of the team is, is a big strength of the Knicks. Everybody pulling in the same direction, everyone embracing the same kind of traits of physicality and effort and just balls to the wall kind of play. It's one of the reasons I really like this team. I think it's going to resolve itself. And look, you have too many guys right up until the time that somebody gets hurt and you don't have enough guys. Like I would not overthink this. If I were the Knicks, I like their team. And I'll tell you, Fred, before we move on to the other stuff, I like this team even more than I thought I was going to like it. I think this team is really, really good. They're 12 and 8. They're fifth in net rating, plus 4.2 per 100 possessions. The only teams ahead of them are Boston, OKC, Philly, and Minnesota. Look, we're all going to be, you're bringing up a, a new too many guys problem. Everyone's been talking about the Knicks trading for a star for three years, really, you know, leading up to and then not getting the Donovan Mitchell trade, which has turned out more than fine for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all cool. Those are interesting discussions. I like this team as it is right now. And I actually think if they're healthy and the matchups break the right way for them, they could make the conference finals. Like, I don't think that's a ridiculous goal for this team. They won't be favored against Philly. They won't be favored against Boston. They probably won't be favored against Milwaukee. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. But like they play all those teams fairly well. And nobody wants to play these guys. They're just annoying to play. And when Randall plays like this, which is to say he makes every decision like 15% faster, they're hard to guard too. They're, they get they go from like a clogged toilet sometimes to like pretty freaking hard to guard. Yeah, you know what's really caught me off guard about them? Probably the thing I'm most surprised about. They're seventh in the league in three-point shooting percentage. I never saw that coming. I knew they were going to take a ton of threes because Tibbs... 
I mean, I, I, people who don't follow him most closely think of Tibbs as this old school guy with old he's school principles. He's a Luddite. Principles. He's got a flip phone. Like, none of this is true. But he is, he, is, he is obsessed with shot selection. He talks about the value of shots. If I had a nickel for every time he said value of shots, I, 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 I would get to quit my job oh, and game, retire on that will, money forever. The game will tell Julius what to yeah. do. The game tells you what to do. There's that one. There are a lot of them, but he talks about the value of shots all the time. You ask him, hey, what, what did you like about Quentin Grimes coming into, you know, because Tibbs really wanted to draft Grimes. What did you want? What did you like about Quentin Grimes? Why are you into him? First thing he mentions every time the shot profile, the shot profile was great. We saw that he understood the value of shots. That's what Tibbs wants. So you knew they were going to take a lot of threes. They took a lot of threes last year, though they didn't make a super high percentage of them. Even Tibbs said at one point earlier this year, the goal is to take a high volume of threes and 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 we'll probably end up at around league league average in percentage. And that's the goal. Be at least league average and get up there. And right now they're seventh. DiVincenzo is really shooting well. And I think Jalen Brunson's leap as a three-point shooter is absolutely real. I mean, he's shooting 46, 47% on seven attempts a game. And it's not just the fact that he's taken more. Like he is pulling up from deep. He's already taken and made more deep threes than he did all of last season and in any other season of his career, deep three is like 27 feet out. And it's a thing that he started working on when he got to the Knicks a couple of years ago and he saw they have a four point line on their practice court. And he started incorporating that four point line into his workouts a couple of years ago. And this summer he really started to feel comfortable on that four point line, shooting from there, five spots on there and being able to make shots without actually changing his form without stressing. He worked on his leg strength to be able to accomplish that. And that's a different dynamic for their offense too, because now you can combat kind of the spacing issues that they had, especially in the playoffs last year against Cleveland and then even more so against Miami. You can combat that by running even higher pick and rolls. And it's a thing that they will occasionally do now where Brunson will run a pick and roll at 30 feet. And if you go under, he's, he's going to hit a three against you. He's going to have a really good chance at hitting a three against you. It's a it's a great little wrinkle for them to to make them a little better. Yeah, I'm almost disappointed that they're shooting well because I liked – the magic trick they pulled last year, which was having an historically elite offense despite being terrible at shooting from like everywhere on the floor. It shouldn't have been possible. Hey, Zach, they reversed it because now they can't finish at the rim. They're dead last in the league in percentage at the rim. And I think that's all left goal. over from Julius Randle's first game against Porzingis where he was like <laughs> O of 500 at the rim. Yes. Um, I, think, I think he started the season like something like three for 16 at the rim and that's part of it but like DiVincenzo is not finishing well around the rim Barrett's not finishing great around the rim Julius is still even with the way he's come up is still in the low 60s which is not some horrific number or anything like that but it's but it's it's not where he was last year last year he was close to 70 at the rim uh and and you know Brunson actually has has missed his floaters this year more than last year which I don't think is a concern at all he's roasted from mid-range roasted from three his process is exactly the same those will eventually go in but like they they've they've missed some shots also it doesn't doesn't help that every other play is Mitchell Robinson just doing tip 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 getting 18 offensive rebounds and just until he finally makes one um the Brunson stuff is interesting it's a good transition into our next topic but you know, one of the things that I've, I like what they've done is they've run Randall pick and rolls much more than he, at any point in his career. And I think that's worked because it un, it makes him make decisions fast 
and it puts Brunson in a spot up role where he can get more of those shots. Um, I, I guess my this is my long winded way of saying I don't even think the Knicks have hit their ceiling. Like all these things we're talking about, both the chemistry stuff and the rim finishing stuff. Like I think they they're even a little better than they've shown. Um, okay, awards. Let's do awards rapid fire. Uh, and Let's. we'll start with, because we're 20 games in. I don't want to hear any objections from the J.J. Reddicks of the world that we're not allowed to talk about MVP yet. We're allowed to talk about MVP, frankly, because it's awesome and it's fun to talk about. And Brunson, I have my Vorpsch and my Schmorps spreadsheet is up and running. It's the very long list of MVP slash All-NBA candidates. Jalen uh, Brunson is on it, uh, but it's he's... You know, it's a long list of MVP candidates. We only get five MVP ballot spots. And this was the one where I was like, I want your full 20 games in ballot, Fred Katz. So let's just start at the top. Uh, And this is, I counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys that if any of them were left off my five-man ballot, I would feel upset about it and angry at myself. Eight is greater than five, so that's a problem. And if you wanted to take it down to nine or ten, I wouldn't argue with you. But let's just nine. start at the start. You had nine, okay? Well, let, yeah. give me give me your nine, and we'll see if we match. Just give me just read the nine names. Sure. I have Jokic. I have Kevin Durant. I have Giannis. I have Embiid. I have LeBron. I have Luca. I have Shea. I have Tatum, and I have Tyrese Halliburton. That was nine. That was nine. So the only one that I had eight, I said that I have all these guys on my list and on my spreadsheet. The one guy who didn't make my I would feel super guilty not having him on the ballot list is Tatum. And it's just because, like, it's crazy that he's averaging 28, nine and four on 50 percent shooting a career best 61 percent on twos. The Celtics are plus nine with him on the floor. They're actually now up to plus six with him on the bench. It's crazy that these other guys are are putting up such insane numbers and are so important to their team that he's like ninth on my theoretical MVP ballot and Steph Curry is like 10th at best. Okay, I know. number 1. I have Steph, I have Steph on honorable mentions below along with like De'Aaron Fox who hasn't quite played quite enough and Anthony Edwards who's been awesome and Devin Booker who hasn't played quite enough, but I just I don't care that much about a team's record right now. I feel like if you're like good enough, I'm I'm okay with putting you there. Uh, but but if you're under 500, I was like that's just at least a good enough way to eliminate it. Tatum for me is just Tatum's the conventional old school guy, right? He's the he's the best player on the team with the best record. Uh, but but I'm I'm with you. He he's I mean he's not in my top five. You mentioned a couple other guys that have games played issues and team record at this point, like you said, is. Um, it's it, you can wipe it away if it's close enough to 500 in the direction. Curry's issue is the Warriors are being outscored with him on the floor, and you know, look, that's not his fault. But when you're splitting hairs like this, it it just, you know, it's these guys are just ironclad cases one after the other. Okay, top five, number one for you. It was really tough. I went with Jokic. He's just the best player in the league. He's playing like it. The efficiency numbers are actually down from where they've been the past few years. The usage is up because Murray has been out. I imagine that stuff is, you know, he's fallen off a little bit with Murray out. I I imagine the efficiency numbers, which 
were just obscene. Like he had a 66% effective field goal percentage last year. I imagine the efficiency numbers are going to come back to more Jokicy after we saw them, but they're still like, they're still the effective field goal percentage, the true shooting. It's still in the same class as, as KD and it's way above Embiid and LeBron and these other guys who we talk about as potential candidates. He, he leads the league right now in defensive rebound rate and also assist rate. I, I don't know if anyone has ever done that, Zach. Like that's, that's an well, insane I, combination. I'm not sure it's true anymore, but um, Stats Williams, our ESPN guy, was passing this around maybe four days ago that Jokic was already, I, I may be getting this slightly wrong, but I don't think I am. He was already the player to to do the, to lead the league in points, total points, total rebounds, and total assists this far into the season. Like it's the latest ever anybody has done that or something. I had Jokic number one as well, 29, 13, and 10. Well, 9.8. We can't just give him 10 because that would be a triple-double. 9.8. 55% shooting down to 30% from three, 61% on two, plus 11 with him on the floor, minus 11 with him off the floor. He's he, His case has gone from totally ironclad to uh, a little bit wobbly in the last week, but he's still the best guy. Um, and his passing is just catalytic to the point of being impossible to quantify. Uh, number two for Fred Katz. You know, I put Kevin Durant. Woo! I put Kevin Durant. I just, I actually, the the dude, because he doesn't play enough games, has fallen out of these conversations the last few years. But he's been he's healthy playing this an, year. He's played 19 games this year. I know. And that's why I got him. I mean, he's he's shooting 52, 50, 89 right now. It, it is it is an obscene performance from him. So, so you, Meanwhile, just, you, just, you just accelerated right through the 50, to be clear. What Fred mentioned is that he's shooting 50% on threes. And if you threes. watch the Suns, like, these are not easy threes that he's feasting on, partly because half the team is injured all the time, or Beal's injured all the time. Booker's missed a bunch of games. Like, Kevin Durant is averaging 31 points, six and a half rebounds, six assists on those shooting numbers. The Suns, with their minimum salaried skeleton crew, plus Nurkic, plus sometimes Booker, are plus six with Durant on the floor. And minus four with Durant off the floor. Like, I mean, I guess he's got to be on the MVP ballot at the expense of like one of these other guys because those are just ridiculous numbers. Yeah. And you know, it's a crazy one. You go through the on offs when when he's on and Booker and Beal are off and Beal's almost always off, obviously. But when he's on and it's just him out of the big three, the Suns are plus four per 100 possessions, like according to cleaning the glass. Like he is carrying that team completely by himself he's been he's been sensational this year i think also man his distributing has been at another level too because when they don't have booker and when they don't have beal and they've got like jordan goodwin out there who i actually think has had a really nice defensive season for them and is really pesky but they he's the initiator and as a facilitator he has been superb just making stuff happen for them at the top of the key all season so you have Durant too. I don't think I would have Durant too, but I I didn't even do my own exercise of like actually ranking them below Jokic. But if you have Durant too, you have him above all of the following players. This is how hard this is 20 games in. Joel Embiid just doing the same thing he did last year when he won the MVP. 33 
11. 33 points. Don't don't just like gloss over that. 33 points, 11 rebounds, 6.6 assists by far a career high. 51% shooting is threes. His shooting's a little down. 32% on threes, 54% on twos. Sixers are plus nine with him on the floor, plus six when he plays without Maxi. Okay, just 33, 11, and seven for the reigning MVP. Plus his defense has been good enough that he's on my defensive player of the year, just long list. SGA. Just, you know, 36 and 6 on 55% shooting, 37% on threes, 58% on twos, plus 11 when he's on the floor, minus one and a half without him. Just like, just, okay, 36 and 6. Luca, oh, Luca, that's right. Luca's like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta look up Luca's. Oh, 32, eight and a half rebounds, eight and a half assists, 49% shooting, 40% on threes, 58% on twos, the best shooting season of his career. Plus three with him on the floor, plus two with him off the floor. If you want to poke a little, just pick a little nit, maybe that'll be it. Giannis, 30. We haven't set a scoring number below 30 for any of these guys. 30, 10 and a half rebounds, five assists, 61% shooting. Plus four with him on the floor, minus one when he sits, plus three per 100 possessions without Dame. Obviously one of the 10 best defensive players in the league on top of all that. Tyrese Halliburton, 27, 12, and 4 on just comedy shooting numbers. 53, 44, 61% on twos. The best offensive engine in the NBA other than Jokic this season. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton on pick and rolls. The Pacers score 1.28 points directly out of Halliburton pick and rolls, which is when he shoots or the guy he passes to shoots. Out of 117 guys that have run 100 pick and rolls, that's second in the league. Zoom out for the entire possession, 1.31 points per possession on any trip featuring a Tyrese Halliburton pick and roll. Number one out of all 117 of those guys. Let me tell you this. The dudes around him in the rankings have run like just barely 100 pick and rolls, and he's up at 700 something. The Turner Halliburton-Turner combination is the best pick and roll combination in the league so far. I don't know what to do here, Fred. Who was your number three? I am I am so glad, by the way, that this is finally the year where they have to play 65 games in order to qualify. Well, that's someone who we're Booker. talking. Book, Booker is at risk already. He's missed nine yeah. games. Like, you could only yep. miss 17. Right. Someone who, who we're talking about right now is going to end up missing 17, 18 games this year and, and is just going to be automatically removed from the conversation. I have Giannis third. He's quietly having arguably his best scoring season ever. He's been so insanely efficient. The effective field goal percentage is up over 60%, which is obscene. Uh, And quite honestly, the way it was really tough for me between Giannis and Embiid there, because I feel like those two guys in their own ways have held teams together when things could have unraveled. Defensively, Milwaukee right now is such a problem. Uh, and and they have not necessarily come out playing in the style that we thought that they would. They're not running very much Damianis pick and roll. Although they they did do it against the Knicks on Tuesday. They were they were coming up with those those Lopez Giannis double screens and and they were working. And Giannis was getting downhill. He was finding Marjan Bochamp in the corner. And the Bucks hit literally sixty percent of their threes in the game, and it, it really helped. But Giannis has been on another level as a scorer, and and 
with all the crap that's going on with Milwaukee, their transition defense is such a huge problem. They lose cutters in the half court all the time. Their transition defense is such a problem that like three times a game, they'll make a shot and then give up a transition bucket on and the I other think, end. Um, Chris Haynes at Bleacher Report reported last night that Bobby Portis had some pushback for Adrian Griffin after the game. So we're up to at least two, maybe, no, we're up to at least three coach-related uh, mutinies is too strong of a word, but we had Terry Stotts quit like two days before the season. We had the whole team being like, hey, we hate your defense. Can we play the way we like to play? And now we have this after the Pacers torched them. Just, you know, it's not, seems, seems like something. And yet, after all that, they're 15 and 7. Giannis is shooting 65% on twos, best figure of his career. 61 from the field, best figure of his career. He's averaging 30 and a half points. His his passing has has been the same level it's been. The rebounding has been the same level it's been. I actually think the defense has has fallen off to a degree. I don't think he's been as great as a help side defender this year, which is in part because they spent all of training camp learning one defensive system and then completely changed it six games into the season. And I'm sure that that has something to do with it. Uh, but but I don't think he's been quite like peak Giannis level defense. He's just been like a quarter step slow as a helper and and they're not using him in that help side corner as often as they were under bud uh but but i i think that gives durant like my little tiny little edge because you're just searching for tiebreakers here but he he's he's sneakily just having an outrageous season again and fourth fourth i have Embiid. i have Embiid. Yeah. i love I love the way that Embiid has been as a facilitator this year. I love his chemistry with Maxi. Like I was talking on my podcast yesterday about his chemistry with Maxi and the two-man game is so different than it was with Harden, where it was just like, we're going to run pick and rolls with James Harden. And with Maxi, it's like the dribble handoffs, they, their dribble handoff chemistry is amazing. It honestly looks like when they get enough time together doing it, it's going to border on Jamal Murray and Jokic because he, they, he, Embiid does this thing now where he he tosses the ball, between, bounces the ball between yeah, his legs. Yeah, the Chris Webber. The Chris Webber yeah. pass that always used to drive my dad crazy. We had arguments over it because I thought it was cool. And then my dad was like, it's not fundamentally it's not fundamentally sound. But you know what I'd say to your dad? You know what ends up happening? I'm watching, I'm watching their game against the Wizards when Embiid drops 50. And this is against the Wizards, so it kind of doesn't really count. But Tyus Jones is guarding Maxi, And Tyus Jones is an NBA player who is smart and knows what to do and knows what to do on defense. And they do exactly that on a, on a dribble handoff with Embiid, where Embiid throws it between his legs, bounces it between his legs to Maxi. And what happens when you bounce it between your legs is on a dribble handoff, what happens is a lot of time the defender who's guarding the guy running around the dribble handoff usually just like follows where the ball is. So if you're holding out the ball to hand it off, you're more likely to trail around that guy who you're guarding. And what happens is Tyus Jones just kind of follows the ball because he thinks that it's possible that Embiid is going to keep it because he runs those quarterback keepers sometimes too. And because of that, Maxi or, or uh, Tyus Jones runs straight into Embiid and Embiid just throws it between his legs to Maxi and Maxi gets a wide open little floater that's just like his bread and butter shot. And it, it affects where the defenders go. Uh, I just I think he's been so good as a hub for others this year, like more than usual given their roster construction and and like you said 33 a game and and the fact that he's just like holding 
he held up that team during a time when a lot of people thought they might just collapse in on themselves with He's the whole held up thing. the franchise through melodrama for five years. I mean, it's just never it's this is the first time there hasn't been any in a long time. What you're saying about we so we spotlit this that action you're talking about on NBA today last week. And what that really amounts to is it's gonna it's it's taken time, but every game they have better chemistry together. They find new wrinkles and what that play is, is Embiid and Maxi finding a way to leverage the fact that Tyrese Maxi is not James Harden. And one thing that Tyrese Maxi is compared to James Harden is super duper fast. So Tyrese Maxi throws Joel Embiid the ball and then sprints over to get it and then keeps sprinting when he gets it or stops if you go under the screen, whatever it is. That sprint from pass to Embiid to go get the ball back is just not something they would have done with Harden. It's not how Harden plays. And they discovered like, oh, this is a cool thing that works. Um, okay, so he's fourth. Who's fifth? Fifth, I have. I had to do it. I put LeBron. Maybe it's recency bias after I just watched them annihilate New Orleans. But the load that he's carrying at, for that offense is unbelievable. They haven't really had... Gabe Vincent, who was supposed to give him a little relief in that. Uh, the load that he's carrying is insane. They are 21.2 points per 100 possessions better when LeBron plays. 21.2. That is and that is Jokic level incredible. 15 of that is offense. 115 offensive rating, which is quite good with LeBron. That would rank like probably 6th or 7th in the league among teams. Actually, it's about 10th. And... 99.8 without LeBron, which would rank so far below the Portland Trailblazers last place offense that you couldn't even see it. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time on MVP, but I will say LeBron 41% on threes. That's a career high. 63% on twos. That's a career high. You might've heard that LeBron is turning 39 years old in like three weeks. And I just said that his twos and threes are at career high rates. It's just ridiculous. Personally, I haven't made my five-man ballot, but I just couldn't have it without one of, if not both, SGA and Halliburton on it. I don't know who comes off. I'm glad I don't have to make this decision now. Um, rapid fire through the rest of the awards. Yeah. Rookie of the where, year. Where are we going? Rookie of the year. Any disagreement? Chet. Chet. It's Chet and it's Wemby, and then I think it's Hakez third. Um, and it's it's pretty clear. And Hakez, by the way, might actually emerge as a sneaky six man of the year candidate. I haven't the the rare rookie and six man of the year candidate. Just he's shooting fifty eight percent on twos and thirty nine percent on threes. Uh, those three just pen him in for first team all rookie. The last two spots for that are going to be a lot of fun. I think given his central importance, particularly on defense, to a good team, I think Derek Lively the second is probably guy number four. And then you got like Kaysan Wallace, who's shooting 9 million percent. Um, Jordan Hawkins, who's averaging 13 points a game, shooting 37% on threes, and is now not even playing for the Pelicans. Asar Thompson, who I love. And I don't know, at this point, I'm like, are the Pistons going to send him to the G League? Like, I don't, I don't understand anything that's going on with their rotations. Brandon Miller's been good. Shout out to Craig Porter Jr., who hasn't played enough minutes, but has been good. Anyway, that's Rookie of the Year. Chet, look, the Chet Wemby thing, I heard Wendy talking about this on his pod earlier this week. 
it's just contextually, it, it's impossible to compare their situations. One got plopped into, in his second year, really, in the NBA, at least in the NBA environment, a good team with good ball handlers all around him to set him up. The other, as a teenager, got plopped into a bad NBA team with no point guard anywhere in sight to set him up. And Wemby's been as advertised in every possible way. On like I Wendy said something like, I've had I've heard some people saying, Man, maybe Wemby's not it. And Bontemps was like, Nobody's saying that. And I was like screaming into my into the void of my office saying, Nobody's saying that. Wemby is Wemby's Wemby. But Chet, given his efficiency, and it's just you just the Spurs are I haven't even kept track of their record at this point. Three and seventeen. You just don't see guys on teams that bad get any kind of awards at all. So Chet is the rookie of the year, and I don't think it's particularly close. Yeah, Coach I'm of the year. You. Coach of the year. Coach of the year is really tough, too. Coach of the year. I have Jamal Mosley, and I think there are a lot of other really great candidates. Uh, Mark Dagnalt, very much on the list. Chris Finch, very much on the list. Rick Carlisle, very much on the list. Ime Odoka from turning the worst transition defense that I ever remember seeing in the NBA into one of the best transition defenses in the league immediately upon taking over deserves just a shout out if only for that. Uh, you know, the same stuff we talked about in bead weathering storms. I, I feel like Nick Nurse has done a really good job in Philadelphia. That's another guy. Uh, the reason I went with Mosley is not even just because they've surprised Orlando is 14 and seven right now, but it's the way that they have surprised that team is insanely good defensively. And it is really hard to get a bunch of young guys to buy in to that degree. And like Zach, you had Cole Anthony on your pod last week. And it's amazing when you look at the way Cole Anthony's game has transformed under him, right? Like you go through, for example, you go through the list of most offensive fouls drawn and and Cole Anthony is drawing the second most offensive fouls in the league. He's throwing his body into screens like this is not the Cole Anthony that we saw a few years ago. Uh, he's also a six man of the year candidate, by the way. And like oh, yeah. they just he has these young guys. I mean, Jalen Suggs has this. Maybe this was going to happen no matter what. And, and, and But Jalen Suggs has been. Uh, phenomenal defensively for them. Whenever Jonathan Isaac is on the court, if they could ever just, if he can ever play more than 13 minutes, they 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 guard really well. Uh, they stay within their schemes really well. Uh, they just are so bought in. It's so clear. And I think from an X's nose standpoint, the way they run their defense is, is pretty awesome. Uh, so I, 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 I go with Mosley, but this is such a difficult award every year. It always could go to somebody else. I also have Jamal Mosley you summed it up um, quite well. You know, the the Magic are, they're not just a surprise. They're 14 and 7 with the eighth best net rating in the league. Neck and neck with the Pacers, by the way. Um, and you, you mentioned the defense. And normally when teams make a huge leap on defense, it's, their interior guys, like some mammoth rim protector blossoms or comes into their team via trade. And the magic don't really like have that on their team. In fact, their starting center has been injured most of the year and is not a traditionally like great rim protector. Wendell Carter jr. 
everyone's just playing really hard and really smart. And they are big. They have good positional size, even if they don't have that one piece that we're talking about. Um, and Suggs has been unbelievable. And just they just play incredibly hard. And I talked about this last week. It It's not just defense that they do hard. It's cutting. It's rebounding. It's boxing out. It's everything is done at just full-throated screaming urgency. And that goes a long way in the regular season. You mentioned a bunch of guys. Here are some guys I got my eye on. See what the Pelicans do in the last half of the season. Obviously, they got destroyed last night. Willie Green could get up there. I don't know, like, I mean, how many games the Celtics have to win before people decide that Joe Missoula is is worth at least a mention in this conversation. Um, You know, if the Knicks win a lot of games, your guy might get in there. You mentioned Dagnalt. Rick Carlisle is going to make a run at this. If And this in-season tournament is stamping his, what he's doing in Indiana and how they've gone all in on the system that they play um, and all in on shooting threes and offense and just they have the perfect shot distribution in terms of shots at the rim and threes. He's just... Rick Carlisle's teams are really good offensive teams. They don't turn the ball over. They take good shots. It's just over and over. And I just want to say this guy's name. Because his team lost some guys... In the offseason, didn't get a guy that everyone thought they were going to get in the offseason. Hasn't gotten like an absolute blow away first 20 games from its best player. Hasn't been fully healthy for, for very much of the season. He's universally considered one of the three best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA. And he's never won this award. And at some point, I'm voting for Eric Spolstra. Just so Eric Spolster can win the goddamn thing, because he needs to win one at some point in his career. The Heat are twelve and nine after starting one and four, and they just grind your ass to dust every single game. Shout out Spo. Um, you want to you want to say some names? Say some NBA names. Most improved player. Let's say All some right. names real fast. Say some names, Fred Katz, of guys who have put in the work and are showing improvement in basketball and life. Some names. Tyrese Halliburton was awesome last year, but this is a whole other level. It's a whole other level. The shooting splits are insanity. You went over them. 5.4 to 1 assist to turnover ratio. And it's not just that he doesn't turn the ball over. Like, it's one thing for a player like Chris Paul to not turn the ball over when he's slow and he's prodding and, and he's working methodically in the half court. Halliburton is on go all the time he is running he is working fast and he's still not making mistakes normally when you work in like a high octane offense like say the warriors where there's just tons of passing baked into that strategy is okay you're gonna have to deal with some turnovers and teams like that always do it The, the pacers lead the league in assists and i think they're second in turnover rate that is such a rare combination that's halliburton it's the same more names same more names same more names okay Cam Thomas, because why the hell not? Keep saying uh, names. Alperin Shangun. When you, when you say a guy who's not on my long list, I will stop you. Okay, Alperin Shangun. Scotty Barnes. Tyrese Maxey. Duncan Robinson. Jalen Suggs. Those are the seven so, that I have. I, I haven't stopped you yet. Those are the seven that I have. I have that in my notes. Who else you got? So Scotty Barnes, will, it won't surprise people, but he, he's just way up across the board. Um, Duncan Robinson will surprise some people. He's averaging a career high 15 a game, and it's the manner in which he's doing it. I wrote about it last week. 
taking way more twos than ever in his career for a team that needs a little offensive punch out of more guys and they're getting it from him. He's on the list. I'll just say more names. Jalen Johnson. Did you say Jalen Johnson? Oh, no, that's a good one. Jalen Johnson. I should have had him. Sam Hauser, Lonnie Walker, the fourth, Max Struess, kind of like a supernova version of what I just said about Duncan Robinson in terms of his assists and his pick and roll play. And then it's too early for, for some of these guys. Um, Shengun, you said, uh, I mean, Bancaro's shooting is worth monitoring because that was a weak spot for him last year. He's up to 50% overall, 42% on threes, 51% on twos. I'm just monitoring it. It's, it's, um, it's, it's on, it's under, it's under monitoring. And then yep, you know, I just can, expected him to have a job. Yeah, no one will vote for know? him as a second, a second year guy. Obi Toppin is more, I think of an opportunity case than an improvement case. Although he's, I mean, he's shooting almost 80% on twos. I mean, like that's a real, that's a real number. Um, you know, I, uh, shade and sharp doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I just wrote his name down. I'm watching Moses Moody. Moses Moody, I'm watching. I'm just like, I, I got my eye on Moses Moody. Uh, I don't know. Should I say Corey Kispert's name just to say his name? Corey Kispert. <laughs> Hi, Corey. You, That's amazing it. hair. Hair has not improved. The hair in the headband combination has been Roger Federer-esque since he entered the league. I've um, been out on the headband for him for a long time, but the hair is the hair is pristine. He's finally actually shooting more. He's he was so hesitant to to shoot for so long, and and he's finally shooting more. He's such a good cutter. He gets himself open so much. He's 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 been good for them. De- Denny Avdia has also been a lot better this year for them, but I yeah, don't I don't think he's showing up on a ballot. Um, I don't even know who I would vote for now. To be honest, I was probably like Jalen Johnson was going to be right there, and he's been injured. So I guess I'll just TBD it. Between Halliburton and Maxi, kind of unconventional candidates who have already finished in like the top six or seven for this award and keep getting better and better. I'd probably vote for one of them. Maxi was my preseason prediction. Okay, last one. Defensive player of the year. Um, I guess I, I will before you reveal who your pick is. Is there a new candidate? Are there any new name? Like I went through the list real quickly of like guys I would like put on the long list for this award. Like I kind of want some fresh blood for this thing. Did you? Is there any fresh blood for you? So I have ten players on a list. Um, does does Herb Jones count as fresh blood? Uh, Herb Jones, I, honestly, no. But maybe for defense player of the year, I think yeah, he didn't make an all defense team last year, and and, and people in New Orleans reacted as if it, a scandal had occurred, which is like it's hard. There are only ten guys; you only get to pick ten. You know, wings just are disadvantaged in the voting, I think. I, I And I think it's skewed too far toward big men just by default. If you're going to give it to a wing wing, like a traditional wing this year, he'll, he'll end up being the guy. I mean, he's just, and he's not even a wing. He's everything. He's whatever you need him to be in order to accommodate the fact that Zion can only make one hard cut per defensive possession, and then he might as well lay down on the floor. And JV is just sort of, you know, a one-dimensional defender and like Herb can guard anything anywhere. I love it. Fresh blood. He's the most versatile defender in the league right now. Like he'll guard centers, he'll guard guards, he'll guard wings. He's he's amazing there. How about this People one? People think that's an exaggeration and it's not. Like just watch two or three Pelicans games in a row. It's like game 1, Herb Jones is on John Collins cuz that's the matchup that they want. They want to hide Zion somewhere else or Zion's not playing whatever. Game 2, Herb Jones is on LeBron James. 
game three, Herb Jones is on Shea Gilgis Alexander. It's just like it's ridiculous. And he guards them all well. Yeah. And I and I want to point out too, like people talk about fill in the blank player can guard all five positions. But really, when they say that, it's usually can switch onto all five positions, which is great. That's awesome. If you can bam out of bio can usually, switch onto all five. It's usually you can switch on like three point five positions. Yes. And then there are some guys who can switch. Bam out of bio, you'll switch on to five. You're feeling you're feeling good. But you're not usually starting Bam on a small point guard. Uh Herb Jones is just he's he's unique right now, I think. I do have somebody number ten on my list right now who uh would definitely be fresh blood and uh at the risk of sounding like a homer. I do have Mitchell Robinson on my long list. I'm I'm monitoring it. The the only reason he's not on mine is I looked up what teams are shooting at the rim against him and it's like 65%, which is which is pretty high. Um yes. but he's been his rebounding and his I I've talked about his mobility being at another level this year. Like you put him on a stretch 5 and he can get out there and and hedge over and recover in time. And the other the other part of it, Zach, to I'm aware of the numbers at the rim, and they're not great. However, if you stretch that out a little bit more, just beyond the rim, what's happening so often, and I see it every game, is that what Mitch does is he steps up and just goes arms up, and he's coaxing all of these people into floaters. And right now, the Knicks are giving up an insanely low percentage on floaters. And and I think... The huge reason for it is Mitchell Robinson. Like I've had conversations with him about it where he doesn't care about blocking shots anymore. When he first came in the league, he was your typical super athletic, really raw big man who was just going to jump after shots and he would leave rebounding lanes vulnerable on the other side and he would foul too much. His fouls are way down. The Knicks right now defensively are forcing tons of turnovers and they're not fouling. And, and and again, that's a combination that you don't really see hand in hand. And if you ask me, why are the Knicks forcing a lot of turnovers this year when they never did it before? I would give me the number one reason, the number per one person responsible for that. I would say Mitchell Robinson, who's actually averaging more steals, I think, than any other big man in the league right now. So hands. often, so many of their of their turnovers come after the ball hits the paint and they just get engulfed and it starts with Mitch with just these insanely long arms. Uh, and then in terms of not fouling, like he hasn't had five fouls in a game yet this year. He is, he is on the floor and he's out there. I, I, I'm not saying he should be defensive player of the year. I do think he should be in consideration now that all defense is positionless. I would definitely have him in consideration there, but you want fresh blood. I don't think we've ever it'll, discussed it'll Mitch in that it'll conversation. It'll be interesting to see if there's like four centers on first team all defense this year. Um I had forgotten that they're doing that position list too. It's not just all NBA. I forgot I forgot about this. Correct. Um so just what I say, the usual suspects, and I'll get to the guy who's ahead right now. You know, it's Bam, Anthony Davis, sensational, Brooke Lopez, sensational, Giannis, Embiid, I've already mentioned. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s numbers have taken taken a hit. His blocks are way down. His rebounds are way down. He, he's probably not quite there. Evan Mobley's been very good across the board. Draymond will be in the conversation if he doesn't get suspended and ejected from 50% of games. Um, Claxton hasn't played enough. Shout out to Vitsa Zubats, who's been quite good for the Clippers, who are running up the rankings defensively. He's just not quite as good as these guys. Wemby, we talked about, just can't. You know They're way better defensively with him on the floor, but their team is just horrible. 
for fresh blood, I'm a little bit hesitant to say this, but should we should we be looking at Chet Holmgren a little bit? He's good. They're he, allowing 106 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor. Pretty stingy at the rim. Just the rebounding is, I think, the the weak spot. But if you look at even their shot diet, they allow fewer shots at the rim and fewer threes with him in the game. And that's the sign of a centerpiece who's doing a really good job of, A, I've got the rim. B, I've got it to a degree that I don't need all you people to come help me stay home on shooters so we deflate those. But I think, um, and as much as I am a Bam super fan, uh, I think it's just got to be Gobert. I, 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 they're the number one defense in the league. And I saw Chris Finch say this after one of their recent wins. He said, this is the best I've ever seen him play. And he clarified, I obviously didn't watch every Utah Jazz game when he was winning three defense player of the year awards and making all-star teams, but this is how I feel. And I read that and I almost fell off my chair because I was watching the same game. And as I am wont to do, I said to the to nobody in my office out loud, just talking to myself like an insane person, I think Rudy Gobert is playing the best he's ever played in his life, offensively, defensively, all around. And then I had the same internal monologue that Chris Fitch did. It was like, well, you know, he's like one three defense player of the year. It's like, I honestly think this is the best he's ever played, which is insane considering last year was like the worst he's ever played since he was barely playing as a rookie or whatever. I just think it's it's all the it's early and it'll be open at the end. But right now, I think it's got to be him. Yeah, he's my pick too. And quite honestly, this was probably the easiest one for me. I I was watching their game against the Spurs the other night, and Trey Jones is coming around to pick and roll. How about that? We're giving Trey Jones and Tyus Jones shout outs in the same podcast. Uh, Trey Trey Jones is coming around to pick and roll, and he gets by his man. By the way, the Gobert Jaden McDaniel's pick and roll combination. That's the toughest defensive pick and roll combination to go against in the league. But Trey Jones is coming around to pick and roll. And as he's coming downhill, Gobert is kind of he's in drop and he's in the paint waiting for Jones. And he gives Jones just like a little with his right hand, just like a come here in the middle of the play. And I was like, that is the cocky. That dude is rolling. And you know what Trey Jones does? He doesn't go anywhere near him. He goes to the right nail and he shoots a fadeaway off balance, kind of rushed mid-range shot, and he misses it. And you want to talk about shot breakdowns? The Wolves are giving up more mid-range shots than any other team in the league. And it's because even when Rudy Gobert is inviting people to come right at him, they still don't want to do it. And they're shooting a teams are shooting a really low percentage on those mid-range shots, too. It's just everything that you want opponents taking, that's what's happening. They're not getting to the rim against the Wolves. They're giving up very few shots against the rim or at the rim. And so much of that is uh, is just Gobert. Guys are shooting 48% on layups and dunks when Gobert's the closest defender. Like he he's he's been he's been as certainly as as good as as ever right now. Rudy Gobar. Rudy Gobar. As Perk likes to say. Or just says. I don't know if he likes to say it. that's just how it comes out of his mouth. Um, the the other two ballot spots would be quite interesting if we actually filled it out right now. And I do think Chet Holmgren deserves some attention in, in, in that discussion. But it's Gobert. We didn't do six man of the year. You know why we didn't do six man of the year? Because it's too early for this one. Because like 
we just have to see who's eligible. Like right now, Reggie Jackson is having a great year. He's not eligible. He started too many games. Trey Murphy the third will get himself eligible eventually. We all know who the candidates are. There's lots of guys you mentioned called Anthony Bogdan, Bogdanovich, Hakez, you know, on and on and on with these guys. Norm Powell, um, Tim Hardaway Jr. I'm sure I'm forgetting more people I don't, yeah. I don't really it's also it's also the award where like there are there are so many guys who are just off to really hot shooting starts that we have to see if they sustain. Like if Lonnie Walker ends the year shooting forty six percent from three and Brooklyn ends up winning fifty five percent of its game, Lonnie Walker is going to be in the conversation. If Tim Hardaway has been shooting the hell out of the ball, like he's going to be in the conversation. I think Mo Wagner is a guy who's played great off the bench. Horford's been great off the bench. Malik Everyone Monk. forgets about Bogdan Bogdanovich every year in six men. All, all he does is just put up awesome scoring numbers on awesome efficiency, and everyone forgets about him. And I wish it wouldn't be so lame. I, I just, I, I think it's so lame to put a sixth man for a terrible team on your ballot. But man, do do I want to find a way to put Caruso in there? Because cause he has really been so good for them off the bench. It's certainly not his fault. And then there's the guy who was the runner-up last year in Emmanuel Quickly, who, who's having a similar... I don't think he's having quite as good of a season as he did last year, but certainly a very a very similar one and has to be in the conversation. So Bogey has been on my ballot at least once, if not twice. Caruso is starting now and is on the verge of not being eligible by the criteria. We'll see. Monk, it will be there in the end. Malik Monk's been unbelievable as playmaking. And another guy who will be there because you can't fight the Lakers is Austin Reeves, who's who's starting to play like Austin Reeves from last year. And if he stays in this bench role, he may well end up winning it. But we'll see. Fred Katz, read his coverage of the Knicks and the league in general at The Athletic. You have a new podcast. Promote it now. I do. It's called Cats and Shoot. It's over on Patreon. You can subscribe. Patreon.com slash Cats and Shoot. That's my last name. K-A-T-Z and Shoot. See, it's a pun. It's a pun. Cats and Shoot. It's a, it's it a basketball a pun. pun. It's a Much good like pun. the low post. <laughs> it's a good It's a good pun. The, lo- the low post kind of beats out all other puns because because it's you don't change anything with the name. It's just the low post and the low post, and you just have to change the spelling. Uh, but yeah, subscribe to Cats and Shoot, and you can find all my writing on uh, on The Athletic. Fred Katz, good to see you, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. Sorry. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.